This is SciBite, episode 99 for June 25th, 2013. Everyone and welcome to SciBite, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly science podcast, live on Tuesdays and fresh on Wednesdays over JupiterBroadcasting.com. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our host, Heather. Hey there, Heather. Hey there, Chris. Hey, Heather. Happy science to you. Happy science. All right, what are we going to talk about today? Today, we're going to take a look at an Alzheimer's treatment, a claim of a piece of mirror in Massachusetts, an efficient solar cell, news from international space agencies, Curiosity News, and as always, take a peek back in history and up in the sky this week. For 99 weeks, let's kick off the news. What? What? SciBite <laughs> <laughs> 2000 kind of went by <laughs> Totally. Poor SciBite 2000. That is really, really funny. That is really funny because that, I, I don't know, I, um, but that, by the way, kind of celebratory um it is our 99th episode all right now with that fun ad let's do the news (laughs) 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 and i'm pushing the same button every time that is so funny i'm gonna do it with the mouse i'll do it with the mouse (laughs) (laughs) all right what are we gonna talk about the news okay Apparently, the SciBite 2000 computer um, might need some Alzheimer's. <laughs> I, think the, I think the SciBite 2000 needs a week off, Heather. Otherwise, it's going to lose its brains, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That, that may be the problem. All right. Well, we'll, we'll so, get to that. Okay. So what's, where do we start in the news? So we've actually had uh, the first experimental drug that actually boosts the brain synapses that have been lost in Alzheimer's disease. And it's combining... Not two crazy new things, but two drugs that are already FDA approved. So and it's being able to stop the cascade of changes that mm. means that it's destroying the connections in between neurons. So it's stopping that. This is actually is I looked at this and it was a really interesting study. It was like, wow, this is actually stopping the destruction. And it's been in a study that's been going on for about a decade. And it's, what it's doing is that it's showing that they've had this one drug um, that essentially can restore those synapses that have been lost during the progression of Alzheimer's. Hmm. Means, okay, so we've seen a lot of these different kind of drugs that are looking at, okay, or studies that say, let's go back to this stage of Alzheimer's. What's triggering, triggering that? Oh, now what's triggering that? So we're going earlier and earlier. But stopping those, stopping it earlier and earlier in the disease's progression is hard. It's still hard for us. We're not really getting there. We're being able to look at how things might change. But this is actually being able to say, okay, well, maybe we don't have to intercede it early on. Maybe we can do it later as well. Wow. So this has actually been able to see that it actually worked with those. We've seen a lot about all Alzheimer's, you know, the, the plaques uh, and the tingles on your brain, the, right. the amyloid, amyloid beta plaques, even when the 
disease is that far, this shows that this drug can actually restore those connections. Wow. So this is uh, glutamate. It is actually uh, leads to, it's part of the synaptic damage in Alzheimer's found that, you know, with the amyloid beta peptides and things. And those can actually, where we thought originally that they were damaging the synapses directly, they're actually, what they're actually doing is inducing the release of an excessive amount of a specific type of neurotransmitter. And then that uh, excessive, they're able to look at that and say, hey, let's curb that a little. Hmm. So it. And this is something just, that's already on the market. Yeah, this is something already on the market. The, huh. It started off as a part of a drug, actually, that's been used since 2003, uh, Memantine. It's actually had shown that this kind of a drug can actually attack the specific receptors that slow the hyperactivity um, that uh, Alzheimer's, the plaques are sort of, the amyloid beta plaques are, are triggering off a, a uh, you know, excessive receptors, these E-N-M-D-A, all sorts of letters that sound very similar, originally. Right. These specific receptors get hyperactivated and they turn into synaptic loss. Synapse oh, loss. okay. And so then there's this drug that they found that said, hey, we can target those receptors to slow them down. That was approved in 2003. Okay. But its effectiveness has been limited because it is a positively charged molecule. That means that opposites attract, you know, similars repel. So it is... It is being repelled by all the similar charges inside uh, disease neurons. So it's not, because it's positively charged, it's not able to um, interact with specific neurons, being able to help treat them. And, so they, and did you mention, too, that uh, one of the drugs they're using here was uh, originally like a, a heart medication for people that have... Uh, Heart disease, right? Isn't that? See, yeah, this is that's where the second drug comes yeah, in. Okay. Like, okay, so that one was, it works, but it can't um, attach very well because it's charged. So then, the way they will do is go into and take a fragment of uh, nitroglycerin, FDA-approved drug for the heart, it, and that sits there and it can bind to um, those receptors. So essentially, they're able to take the memantine, the drug for the synapses, kind of soup super glue it to this uh, fragment of the nitroglycerin molecule. And then the nitroglycerin can go in and it can attach to stuff. It can actually, um, it can be used to target specific receptors. So then it targets the receptor, it attaches to it, and then the memantine can actually you know, get there and uh, treat the synapse itself. So by combining the two, they've had over 30 different derivations before they found one that was like just the right combination of everything. So then they're able to go say, okay, well, now we have this drug. Now it can actually go in there and attach to things. It can shut down these hyperactive receptors on these diseased neurons and sort of restore, restore those synapses between the neurons. And one of the studies I saw the, said that actually could bring the number of synapses 
all the way back to normal within a few months of treatment in mouse models. In fact, Whoa. Uh, one of the uh, it claimed that in the story I read that in fact one of the drugs, one of the new combinations, actually started working within a few hours. So I mean, the, the, you're telling me this? These people take this drug, and then the, within a matter of hours, they can see a difference. That seems impossible. Well, is, that seems like a, that seems like a breakthrough. Yeah. Th- well, this is this is always you know in mouse brains and in they've taken um, human brain cells, just like a couple in a dish, and watching how those treat how, watch how they treat that there. But yeah, they're claiming they've seen some difference within a couple of hours. So I've been. Inter- it's one of those things where it's like the drug sounded really, really amazing. And the fact that it is from FDA approved, FDA drug approved already things. So it'll get to the market that much more faster since we've already right. proved the things are there. Right. And they're, little, they're not as worried about the side effects. Yeah. They're not they're, They've already gone through that process. Now it's perhaps just a couple of extra hoops to, for this specific combination. Now, were these medications near their patent expiration? <laughs> oh gosh! You know how they always like to do that. Wish. Yeah, wouldn't that be Wish. great? And then, and then these things, you know, because that's the uh, that's the only other problem is then they can they can you know sometimes get locked away. Yeah. But uh, you know, I mean, it's pretty it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Well. So, kind of interested. A. It's a one-two combo. Yeah, it's definitely a one-two combo that that. Being able to treat Alzheimer's at any point is awesome. I mean, we wanted to be able to say no more. That's it. Take this shot and you don't have to worry about it. But while we work on those kind of drugs that can stop it, just turn it off or, you know, catch it before it starts or anything like that, then especially a drug like this where if you could catch it at any point in the Alzheimer's is, you know, life span, essentially. Where it's, you're not just having, you don't have that specific window opportunity. So it's something that be able to be able to catch at any point and yeah. say, this can treat to a certain degree. You know, stopping those, yeah, being able, stopping the it. Fact that you, the fact that it doesn't require that you jump on it years before the onset yes. of Alzheimer's, that's that's pretty huge, too, because sometimes yeah. people, you know, sometimes it can be years before they realize what's going on. Oh, yeah. So it's sometimes a very difficult thing in Alzheimer's. Yes. That's pretty great. All right, Heather, well, any other thoughts on that story? No, I don't think so. All right, well, you, if you guys are interested in that, you can find more links and more information in the show notes. Not only does Heather summarize in great detail, and by summarize, I, is there another word for summarize that doesn't mean minimize because it's almost like exploder, exploderize? She exploderizes <laughs> in great detail <laughs> in the show notes and then also has links to the uh, source material, which is awesome. All right, Heather, well, then uh, why don't... Uh there we go. Take a little uh, jingle break here and uh, remind folks that the sci program and all of the shows on the Jupiter Broadcasting Network are brought in a large part thanks to you. And one of the ways we can do that is through our affiliates program. If you scroll down to the bottom of the Jupiter Broadcasting website, we've got the links down there. And I want to give a little reminder about our browser extensions because uh, I think some of them have been disabled. So I'm putting the message out there to check your browser extension. You can just click the link at the bottom of our site and install the latest version if you like. That also has uh, affiliates in there for other sites like Monoprice and a few others. And uh, that's just a great way to contribute to the network because we have some big expenses, one of which is already actually 
happened, and we have another expense. We're going to be doing... Oh, so first, we're upgrading the video stuff. And then after the video stuff is all good and stabilized, I'm upgrading some of the audio stuff to make uh, things like uh, the audio quality out of the video studio sound a little better and stuff like that. So I uh, definitely could uh, use your support and uh, are using by using our affiliate links. And also, a little public service announcement, right, Heather? Yes. For next so, week. Yes, next week we are going to be taking a break. But Heather, so- next week is 100! But in two weeks is 100. <laughs> That's right, yeah. yeah, we'll be doing some Cybite 2000 upgrades next week. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I'll crack open the old hood. You know, it's got a tape deck in there, and you got to, uh, oh. yeah, every now and then you got to rewind it because yeah. the tape spool gets a little loose. Yeah. <laughs> Cybite 2000 was actually built in uh, 1979 uh, wow. from a grant. Yeah, a government grant. So it turns out. So we will be back one week later. Uh, no Cybite program next week. Tuesday or Wednesday morning, but don't fret. We'll have the Side by 2000 rebuilt and fully up to gear for the next week for episode 100. And we might even have a special guest, so join us for that. Yes. And I will celebrate 100 in style. All right, Heather. Well, with uh, all of that filed, I believe we should move right along to the News Bite. I'm only using the mouse now. I'm not even using the hotkeys. All right, Heather, what okay. are we talking about in the news bite? All righty then. I was watching the news, and in the big head- shiny headlines, it goes, man from Massachusetts says he has found a piece of the Mir space station. Oh, really? It has been confirmed by NASA in waving arms and Whoa. all happiness and um, just a few problems with that. Oh, yeah? What's that? Yeah. Um. Well... One, so story goes, so yeah, no, actually, <laughs> but going backwards, story says, man says, hey, you know, he was searching the local riverbed for arrowheads, and oh, here's a black pitted rock, huh, that looks funny, tosses it in his yard, five years pass, then, then neighbor friend says, hey, that looks pretty crazy, you should check that out, then he comes back later and says, hey, newspaper, I sent this off for analysis just a couple weeks ago, and poof, NASA says that this is the Mir space station. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, no, except Mir re-entered in 2001, six years before the 2007, it would be, original quote-unquote discovery. Um, hmm. And Mir also crashed into the Southern Pacific Ocean, where pretty much all space... Um, satellites go to die. And Mm. the Southern Pacific Ocean isn't near Massachusetts. So it doesn't sound like that's a piece of the mirror station at all. No. And by the way, people, I can say that my cell phone, which I'm holding in my hand, which none of you can see, obviously, um, this has been approved by NASA that it is in space. I can say that all I want. Um, unfortunately, this confirmed by NASA is not actually confirmed by NASA. <laughs> um, NASA came back. Uh, I was reading from uh, universetoday.com, and they're like, yeah, we talked to NASA. And essentially, NASA went, what? We don't even have that kind of... They're like, one, we haven't been contacted about this. Two, the specific type of validation that he claims doesn't exist. So, 
while if you look at the pictures of the video of what he has, there is some melted fusion crust. Yeah, you know, it, it does look like it's it, very yeah. reminiscent of something that has been through a reentry process. Yeah, yeah, it totally um, does. Slim chance that it is from some sort of resupply vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe unrelated Russian space vehicle or something or other, but it's definitely almost certainly an impossibility that it is from Mir. That any piece of Mir could have landed in the U.S., really. Could just be, I mean, if if we if if we look at it and say, okay, it does kind of, you know, it definitely looks like it got super hot and was melty and stuff like that. So, okay, could it not be volcanic? Could it not just be any old space well, rock? Could it not just be an asteroid piece? Does it have to be? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, is it, does it have to be metal? Do they know it's metal? Is that the thing? Well, there's the thing is that there's no real actual analysis of this thing. The analysis is what's all that this guy says. I like that. I like so this guy's got, he's like, yeah, oh, no, this, this is legit. Totally legit. Uh, how do you yeah, know? Uh, no, I'm telling you it's legit. Yeah, well, and it's one of those funny things where I looked at it and I was like, wait, really? And it, it kind of like slid past me because it was then the next day the story came back and went, everyone went, wait, wait, no. <laughs> Try again. And went, go, went to check all the sources and everything. And then, so I wasn't, it was weird because I wasn't quite sure how much of it hit Major media. Yeah, right. Or how yeah. much of the follow-up hit the major media because right. I was just watching it through my through my uh, sources. So I was like, hmm, that's interesting. But it's kind of sad where you say, somebody says, hey, this has been confirmed by NASA. And you take that for granted. You're like, somebody's not going to say it's confirmed by NASA. Right, they wouldn't say unless it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> SciBite is the best science podcast on the internet, confirmed by NASA. We should just Aww. start saying that in the intro. We should. Just, why not just do no. that? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I want to. I want to believe, Heather. I kind of want to believe. Is that is that wrong? No, I I thought it was cool there for a minute too. Yeah, I'm I really play, did. I'll play a little bit of the video. A teacher decided to investigate further. She sent this rock to someone she knows with NASA. He determined this was not a space rock, but something even more rare. It isn't from space. It's from it's Earth. A piece of the space station mirror. Parts of the empty space station burned up as it re-entered the Earth's atmosphere in 2000. And they're just taking him on his word for that. Yeah. That's amazing. That is yeah, amazing. So, and it, I mean, you really wanted to believe when someone says that, though. You're like, no, I sent it off, and it was... It, then it kind of you kind of wonder it's like all right well, how much is he fibbing? Did you just pull it all out of the, the air or, what happened? Or is somebody playing a horrible trick on him or us or, you know maybe that's what it is. Yeah. Maybe, maybe somebody's playing a trick on him. And, and yeah, no, this is, to- this is totally this is totally a uh, this is yeah. totally a space ride. The banks when the tide goes out. Just didn't belong there. After the initial shock of finding this rock, Phil didn't think too much about it. <laughs> I just, yep. what was it, a slow news day? <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh. <laughs> oh, man, that or, gal's like, this is the worst assignment of my career. I can't believe no. I'm doing a story on a rock. That's what she's thinking right now. All right, Heather, <laughs> Will, any other thoughts on that story? 
Uh, no, somebody asked, uh, what are my sources? I have my sources all in the chat notes and I watch my, and I, all the, I watch them all. And if I continue watching, um, Heather, my why, new do, stories, Heather, why do you have an anti-rock agenda, Heather? Uh, Heather, I've noticed a real anti-rock agenda, uh, in this show and I'd like to see your sources. Oh. That, that's perfectly fine. My sources are in the show notes oh, and should anything notes? happen oh. and it comes back and then, Things are different from what I originally say. I come back and I admit. Yeah, you got, you got, I have. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know what? We would do a we would do a science update if that were. The yep, case. I I have done the science updates. I have been like, no way, ta. Just kidding. <laughs> I I failed science. All right, well, we should probably move on from this obviously very politically hot rock topic and go yes. on to the two by news. <laughs> Yeah, the band in here today. Yeah, they're, they're on they're on track more than us today. Yeah, well, that's for sure. And between the, between us and the Cybite 2000, the band's the only thing that's got it together. Man. All right, so we have a little good news for uh, solar cell efficiency, don't we? We do. The Sharp Corporation has actually achieved the world's highest solar cell conversion efficiency of 44.4%. Ooh. Using a uh, concentrator triple junction compound solar cell square... I've actually been able to set the. So they have actually had the world's highest concentration conversion efficiency. They've actually been confirmed. Um, they're usually they're using generally these kind of things use high photoabsorption layers made from like compounds from multiple different elements. Um, some 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 they call uh, indium and gallium. These triple junction compound cells use a uh, very specific proprietary technology and enables um, really efficient conversion from uh, sunlight to electricity. And you can, by stacking these three um, absorption layers on top of each other. And so then you're able to say, then you're able to, con- to achieve that from that, being able to sort of widen the effective uh, surface essentially, and making sure that all the that they're all of uniform width at the inner. So by making them all very uniform, all sort of making the effective width very wide, they're able to increase its efficiency. And because of this high efficiency, this is one of those things where the cutting edge ends up sort of in uh, space satellites, and then it starts pulling forward pulling backwards back towards earth so as we get the push the efficiency in space and things to um to the you know push the walls there that we can start increasing so it trickles down and gets us uh, more efficient solar cells here on earth as well oh fantastic heather yes terry anderson triple decker solar so yeah sort of like triple decker triple decker solar cells all like stacked together i like it a lot I yep. want uh, I want uh, to put uh, my my dream, and I don't know like if it's going to be years before it's a reality. But I would mm-hmm. I would like to put uh, solar panels on the roof above the studio because it faces the sun, and I, uh-huh. I think it'd be, it'd be great to have the live stream that runs twenty four seven, which requires like one or two computers to do that. It'd be mm-hmm. great if I could run that off of solar. I not I'm not like I don't want to run like a whole bunch of stuff because that'd probably be cost prohibitive. But it'd be really great if technology like this could make it so that somebody like me. Could buy mm-hmm. one or two panels and put them on my roof and power, you know, a, a, you know, a, a reasonable amount of equipment. I think that'd be really cool. Yeah, 
Yeah. Maybe one day. Maybe one day. Oh, China's space program. We've got a little story about China in here, don't we? We do. Uh, China and Russia, they're both featuring in this week their space programs. Uh, mm-hmm. China, uh, they have a mission that they're saying that they're going to aiming for end of the year to be able to make a... Uh, they're actually going to depend, attempt a soft landing and rover deployment on the surface of the moon. So right now they have a couple of what they're calling Tychonauts uh, up in space orbiting right now, actually. Um, they went up on the 13th. and they're, So they went up and they hooked up with what they have as a sort of a mock space station. Hmm. Um, so they were doing a couple of different uh, orbits and maneuvers there. And they're kind of jumping forward and moving moving about. So they're going to be doing a lunar uh, rover. They're going to be able to do uh, a probe, land its six-wheeled rover, explore the area around where they land. Um, the NASA Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter is actually going to be able to kind of peer down and watch them. So it'll be kind of a first. We've, we've, seen, that, we've seen that where um, NASA's been able to use its uh, Mars Orbiter for the Martian rovers, sort of watching where it's going, helping plan things, where how things are going. But this will be the first time for the moon that it'll actually be able to see, um, you know, an active rover rolling around. So it'll be very interesting. Oh, that'll be really how, cool. I hope we get some footage of that. Yeah. Uh, they also, well, speaking of footage, the uh, Taikonauts and their little space station, um, I put half air quote up there because it's their mock station is what, they, what the Chinese are actually calling it. Hmm. Uh, they actually, someone was able to take a picture of it as the spacecraft was crossing the face of the sun in a, like less than a half a second that it had, that the person had. They actually would take a picture seeing and uh, take a peek at that in the uh, show oh, it's notes. tiny, right? Is yes. that what I'm seeing? That tiny, tiny little... Yes, uh, it's 10 meters, 34 feet. I lost it actually. Oh, there it is again. There it is. Right? I think it's just in the kind of on the right side of the sun. Really tiny. Yes, it's very, very tiny. Um, but it was able to catch it. This, is, this guy is one of those people that really like, really calculates it down and says, all right, it's going to be this half a second during this whole day that, that's going to pass in front of the sun. I need to take as many pictures as I can in that half second to try to catch it. So. Good shot. Yeah, so crazy imaging there. I, uh, I so, guess you could actually call that a once-in-a-lifetime shot, right? Because, I mean, there's probably not yeah. an opportunity to get that for that. Well, I mean, maybe there will be, but, you well, know, for that yeah. person. Uh, all oh, right. Yeah. Well, that's that's good news. So our, our partners in space will uh, be uh, hopefully visiting the moon soon, even if we're not, right? Yes, yeah, somebody will be sending something there hopefully right. soon. All right. Russia yeah. has even eyes for things further, even. Oh, Yeah. Yes, uh, Russia, actually. They're aiming to put a probe onto Ganymede, Jupiter's largest moon. Whoa, look at them shooting far. Yeah, this is sort of a, a, a wishful, hopeful, aiming thing. Uh, the European Space Agency is cooking up with them. Uh, they have, you know, obviously finances, government, politics. All those things can jump in the way the more governments you have. And there's going to be quite a number of them in this venture together. The Jupiter Icy Moons Explorer, JUICE. And it's actually scheduled to launch not until like 2022. Um, so it would arrive at Jupiter like 2030 or so. Oh, man. So it's, it's a little ways away. Um, 
But there's a Euro- the European spacecraft is actually aiming to go there with uh, radar, mapping cameras, instruments, uh, measuring global ice thicknesses on Ganymede. Oh, that's, so, something. that's something. And then Russia came to them and said, hey, if we can hook up with you, then maybe we can actually get a lander involved in this. And so, because Russia had originally proposed to get a landing on Europa, another one of Jupiter's moons. Um, but NASA had a mission to go there, and that never came about or will never come about now. And so Russia stepped in and kind of retooled it and said, hey, let's actually go, uh, let's go to Ganymede to fall in lines of one of Europe's Jupiter missions. They can hook up with them, kind of catch a, essentially catch a boost over to there, you know, in work in tandem when teamwork with them. So, so they're going to go through map reconnaissance, do some reconnaissance, seeing, kind of looking at what they can do to say, hey, what if we develop this lander? Hmm. So they're hoping that since working with the European Space Agency, they might be able to accelerate it um, to to get to a launch in time. Um, that's if they want, you know, to be able to have this piggyback load if everything if, if everything comes together and everyone and, thinks and that, that it's a good idea. That accelerated timetable, what, puts in there 2023, 2024? Is that kind of... It's, like, um, it's not like it's going to be in the next 10 years. It's going to be... It's still way out, right? Uh. Well, it's accelerated into the sense that if they want to launch on a mission going up in 2022, they'll need to move a little bit faster than they had planned. Ah, gotcha. Right. They're going to catch, yeah. So they say, hey, we've got this idea to go out to one of Jupiter's moons. Hey, actually, the European Space Agency is going, has a plan to go out to uh, Ganymede. So if we retool our mission just a little to go to the moon that they want to go to, maybe we can piggyback off them. So let's retool. Let's see if we can get everything together fast enough and kind of accelerate the whole process a little bit f- enough to be able to have that option. So they're all kind of looking at it to say, what can they do? So it's not just NASA here on SciBite. We actually remember that other space agencies exist too. Yeah. Promise. Yeah. Especially if they go out and do something cool. Yeah. Right? So mm-hmm. there's, there's, there's a lot. Well, this week there's a lot of the Russian is and the European Space Agency's the Jupiter Icy Moons Explorer. It's, it's a little bit ways out, so it's still kind of in the hope stages. But I'll take hope stages. Yeah. Um, yeah. So nothing. Then, yeah, and then Chinese <laughs> the Chinese program is actually uh, doing uh, doing stuff too. So definitely props to them for getting things up there. Yeah. All right. Well, while we are up in space, should we swing by Mars and check out what old Curiosity's up to? Let's go. And lift off of the Atlas V with Curiosity. Watch out, confirmed. We're safe on Mars. Yep. Definitely will. What's going on with Curiosity, Heather? All righty. We have switched into our driving mode. We did. We had our little. Drilling and major milestones of science back there. And now they've switched into kind of field, uh, you know, road trip modes. They're going. And in the meantime, they have caught a billion with a B pixel image of Mars. Whoa. Now, there have been a number of these where 
NASA releases a whole bunch of images, and then people can, you know, really cool people go back and say, all right, we're going to stitch all these different images together. But this is the first time that NASA has actually um, produced an image of this size from Mars. Warning, it needs it's, silver light. <laughs> but it's so cool. Uh, so oh they stitched gosh. together nearly 900 pictures just to get to it. So it's... 850 frames of the telephoto camera from the mass cam. Uh, they've got 21 uh, images from the wide angle camera, 25 black and whites, mostly of the rover itself from the navigational cameras. Um, it's actually taken on multiple different days between October and November, which is why if you look, if you're able to see the image on the um, On the horizon, you kind of see the sky looks different, and that's why there's yeah. things look different is because it's taken over the course of various days. What's over- cool too is uh, something we don't always get to see, although now the plugin's not working. Is uh, we get they also have published all the raw color stuff, so you yes. can see what it is before they've sort of done their correction stuff. Yeah, you can see the white balance, the raw image, and it's one of those things where we've talked about it a number of different times mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. where they have the the raw color image. And then they what they publish what they call the white balance, which essentially they go through and they have um, color palettes on the uh, spacecraft itself, so they can say this is we know this is red, we know this is blue, we know this is all these different various colors, so they can sort of uh, balance it to say this is what it would look like if it was on Earth, because um, I just found you know, alien life. You you just found. Alien life yep. is that one of the little white pieces? Yeah, and then over here I found what they're what they're labeling as a toilet seat. <laughs> it's literally called the toilet seat. <laughs> yeah, they they call things very obvious names. They're like, we're going to call it this, so it's memorable. And there's a number of pieces where they saw in there that they I believe they went, hey, this is a really weird rock. Oh, this is a couple of little white pieces. This might be more of the debris from the chute coming down. I remember, oh, early on. The first drilling, they fi- they saw some uh, something white, and they went, "Hey, what's that? Oh no, it's a piece of plastic. Is it from the rover?" And they had to stop everything, kind of go over the rover very carefully. Say, "No, this is probably just a piece that fell as it was coming down uh, to land." So they they see one, maybe two pieces that are similar. That they say, "Hey, this also might be a piece of um, landing debris." Wow, you know what you can do with a billion pixels. You can a go lot. full screen. You can be on Mars and go full screen and look around and look. I'm look. I am looking at the hardware. This thing is a is a truck. I mean, this thing yeah. is a beast. This yeah. rover is like it's got some serious hardware on this thing. Gosh, look how yeah. high tech awesome this thing is. This it's is a, a real treat. On Mars. Yeah, that's it true. is a rover on Mars. There's light like equipment there. That's true. I'm gonna look at these rocks here. Um, this is probably one of the coolest things I think you've ever linked to. Yeah, this is really, really cool. These where it's really huge image. You can sit there and definitely get lost. Um, if you like this kind of thing, be prepared. Set yourself a timer if you really <laughs> don't. If you really can't. If you're in the middle like, of doing a podcast, time. you might want to get back on track. If you if you think you can look at it while you're at work on no. your lunch break, no. uh, beware. Um, you might be like, oh, I've used up all my lunchtime. I haven't eaten and I'm still staring at Mars. Whoops. Yeah, for the uh, live stream, I will uh, put that. Although you guys have to wait till the show's over because we will lose you. 
It's pretty neat. You you'll be you will be long, long gone. Wow, there is really something about being able to just walk around Mars kind of through my computer. And when you go full screen, it is really and the resolution is great. Oh yeah. Oh, uh, that is so neat. Gosh, I, I, that is that is one of the greatest things about this current uh, Mars trip is uh, that level of detail we're getting. Oh yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's awesome. Should we uh, jump in the time machine? Let's go. All right, jump in. Close the door. All right. All right. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Running this sucker off of coal. Uh, I got stuck in the past, and I had to build myself a new time machine to make it back here for the show, and so I had to make a coal power. Yeah, but I'll get the one powered off of garbage soon. So this week, the time machine took us to 59 years ago for this week in science, specifically June 27th, 1954. What happened, Heather? We could be powered by atoms. This is what I need to get a time machine for. I need to get an atom-powered time machine. Yes, the world's first atomic power station actually began producing electricity in Ob- Obnisk, USSR, a small town out 60 miles south of Moscow. Okay. That was using a small graphite-moderated water-cooled reactor to produce five megawatts of power. It was actually used for both civilian and military purposes, actually, um, such as researching the possibility of propelling uh, submarines with nuclear power. Uh-huh. And it generated electricity all the way up until 1968, but uh, continued it was they continued to use it for experiments, um, and to warn the warm the town's uh, hot water supply. So they were didn't they stopped producing electricity per se, but they continued with experiments and warming the town's uh, water supply right up until 2002, because then it stopped being unprofitable. Interesting. So the very first atomic reactor continued producing to, electricity. Continued right, right, right. Continued to operate for a very, very, very long time until two thousand two, basically. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, that there you go. That was fifty nine years ago this week in science. That's actually shockingly not that long ago. Like this that technology yeah. is not that not that old. Mm-hmm. Pretty amazing. All right, well, uh, now that uh, we've gone back in time, let's uh, recalibrate the side by 2000 and look up into the sky this week. All right, this week, it's pretty much planets stealing the show this week. Venus this week, if you look into the evening twilights, low in the west to northwest horizon, starting to be more visible each night. Uh, Mars and Jupiter are currently still uh, hanging out with the sun, so kind of hidden behind the glare of the sun there. Can't see them yet. And Saturn in the evenings, if you look to the south to southwest, you want to see Saturn and the slightly dimmer uh, Spica, the star, with that it's about uh, 12 degrees or it's like one and a half fists that held at arm's length. Um, it'll spike will be to the to the right, um, uh, right after dark. So you'll succeed to the south to southwest in the evenings. You'll see you might see two. Bright star things. Spica is the one to the lower right, just after dark. And Saturn, with its uh, rings of might, kind of flies higher on its wings and is higher in the sky. Nice. And uh, the uh, supermoon, there were some awesome pictures I saw posted online for the supermoon, including some really good ones from Seattle. So last week, week it was was awesome out there. So Saturn is the real, sounds like the real vent this week. Yep, Saturn's the is the guy to be this week. And that's the one to watch for. All right, very good, Heather. Well, I think that brings us to the end of this week's Cybite, doesn't it? I think so. 
Okay, folks, don't forget you can email the show, SciBite, at jupiterbroadcasting.com, or you can tweet Heather at JB underscore Mars underscore Base. Don't forget it, we're taking next week off, but we'll be back one week after that for SciBite 100. All right, Heather, thanks for the great show. Thank you. All right, everyone, thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of SciBite. We'll see you right back here in two weeks. Bye.